Good morning. Turn with me to Isaiah 2. And stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It should come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bound down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord. And from the splendor of his majesty, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idol shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man and whose nostrils is breath, for what of count is he? That is the word of the Lord. If you would remain standing with me for a time of prayer. After a word of prayer, we'll hear the preaching of God's word on this passage in Isaiah chapter 2. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together. We have made a practice of coming and worshiping you on, on Sunday that first day of the week, the day where Jesus rose from the dead, 
when many witnesses went to the grave and his body was not there because you caused him to be beaten and stricken and crucified for our sins and then you raised him from the dead. And we thank you for that, that powerful witness that which was necessary for our salvation. Open our ears today, Lord, our understanding to your word as Brian preaches this morning on Isaiah 2. May we see you in your glory, your majesty. May we be humbled by you and submit ourselves to you that we might be prepared for what is in store in your plan and your purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts today to bring about a humbleness that leads to salvation, turning hearts, turning to you, calling themselves sinners, repenting and turning from sin and turning to trust and obey you. So we thank you today. We do pray for the family of Minnie Kathy. Understand that she's now with you, and we thank you for that. We would pray, Lord, that her testimony will continue, and that this week, during the service, that you will use that to bring glory to yourself and turn many to the, the, the sole comfort there is, and that is to you. So we pray this, Lord. And now we just pray that you use this message and this day for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I thank the Lord because he put a word in my mouth. When you look at Isaiah 2, the first thing you see is the mountain of the Lord rising. And the mountain of the Lord is something that is very interesting because Isaiah is not the only prophet that talked about this. If you looked at Zechariah 8, he talks about this. If you turn with me to Micah chapter 4, I want you to look at these first three verses. It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, Neither shall they learn war anymore. Now that's the exact same as verse 2 through 4 in Isaiah. And if you look into your word, you'll notice that Micah and Isaiah prophesied at the same time. And so what happened was that God was given a vision to his prophets, to his men of God, and they were all being filled with this image this image of this mountain. And they were all preaching about this mountain. And because multiple prophets are preaching about the same thing, we have to come to the realization that this mountain is important. And so we got to ask ourselves when they talk about this mountain, what mountain are they talking about? When does this prophecy occur? 
what law are they talking about and why is this important? Which mountain are they talking about? Well, it says the mountain of the house of the Lord. And then later on in verse 3 it says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law. Which mountain? Well, Moses got the law from Sinai, not Zion. And Zion wasn't really a mountain. It was just a hill that the temple was built on. It was just part of Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem now, you'll notice there's no mountain right in the middle of the city. In fact, where Zion was, the temple got knocked down. And Isaiah prophesied that the temple would be knocked down. Ezekiel prophesied that the Holy Spirit left the temple because people weren't worshiping the true God. So we got to ask ourselves, why Zion? And then we get towards the New Testament and we see this man named Jesus Christ and he died on a hill. Where was that at? Well, that was Zion. So this prophecy is not talking about Sinai, where the Old Testament law was delivered, but it's talking about the hill where Jesus died. That it will rise up and become a mountain. In other words, this is not something that has occurred yet in Isaiah's day, but it was something that he was looking forward to, that all the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to, the day when that mountain would rise. When does this occur? Well, this occurs in a church age, when Christ fulfills his mission. Look what it says, all nations shall flow to it. And what happened in Acts 2? They came to Peter and they said, man, what happened? Are you drunk? And he said, no, I'm not drunk because it's in the middle of the day. But men everywhere were hearing the word of the God spoken in their language. So many peoples were flowing. And where were they flowing? To that Mount Zion. Where were they flowing? To the place where Christ had died. Even nowadays, there are not many Jews in this room. I would probably guess there's no Jews in this room. We are of many different peoples. But we are all looking towards Mount Zion, where Christ died. What law is he talking about when he says, the people came and they gathered and they wanted to hear from this law? And we learn from what this law is, and I want you to think about this, because a lot of people, when they hear about the law, they're thinking about, you know, 143.1-B, don't speed 35 miles per over over the limit, or the penalty shall be six months and a fine of $500. That's not what kind of law he's talking about. He's talking about the teaching. You can substitute the doctrines. You can substitute what we believe. You can substitute the things that we heard from the word of God. What law are we looking at? The law of grace. Not the law of works. 
not a law where Moses said, if you do these things, you will be blessed. Rather, the law that says Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and his righteousness is our righteousness. We look towards the law of grace because we know that we can't earn our own salvation. So why is this mountain important? Well, this mountain rising brings about real evangelism. Notice what it's the people say. They say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Now, real evangelism and real teaching is not just you go to the house of the Lord, but come, let us. It is a call, yes, a call, come. But it is also a call that includes me as well as you, right? If I say, hey, man, you go and serve the Lord. No, no, no. Come with me and we will go serve the Lord. That's a difference, right? The mountain of the Lord allows you to do that. The mountain of the Lord enables real worship and obedience. You'll notice we don't turn and pray towards the mountain of Jerusalem. We pray. Jesus said this. I'm seeking true worshipers, worshipers that will worship me in spirit and in truth. We worship and look towards Jesus Christ standing on that spiritual mountain. The mountain enables peace. Because the nations and these groups of people all come to Jesus Christ. And they all come and say, teach us your ways. And when we learn the ways of the Lord, we don't fight each other anymore. Because everybody thinks they want peace. But our lust don't allow us to have peace with one another. When you want what I want, we can't be at peace. But when Jesus Christ says, you can't have what he has, but you can have this that I give, we can be at peace. The mountain allows true justice. Because where justice is perfect, there is no need for any man to put the law in his own hands. Where there is perfect justice, there is no need for anger. There is no need for striking out. There is no need to learn war. There is no need for locks on doors. There is no need for alarm systems or militaries or missile interception systems or bunkers, or tanks, battleships, military schools, police. All of those things are necessary in the age that we live in because all men do not know the beauty of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the age to come, and in this age established in this church, right, we don't need those things. In the church, all the weapons that we once used to battle for our own lust, we turn and give to Jesus, and he turns them into instruments for building our fellow saints. And so in verse 5, we see this call. Isaiah gives this call, oh, house of Jacob. You hear him yearning, right? Do you hear him like I hear him? It's not like, yeah, 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 come on with me. Maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. It says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk 
in the light of the Lord. It's a plea. But it's to Israel. Why is it to Israel? Because he said, already said the nations are already following Christ. And Israel is being left behind. It's a call to the light. And what does light stand for? Light stands for openness, purity, what is knowable, what has been revealed. It's a call to walk with the man of God, not walk in front of the man of God, right? We are all walking together, Isaiah says. Join me as I follow the Lord. It's a call of reconciliation. They had once been alienated with God. If you look at Isaiah 1, he's talking about and saying, you guys don't know your maker. An ox knows his crib. But Israel doesn't know his maker. He's saying, come guys, let's have some common sense and return to the Lord. And when you boil all these down, what you get in verse 5 is this. The man of God is calling his people to walk with him in openness, accountability, in the path that God alone has revealed. He is calling on his people. Because when you look at verse 6 through 9, you see that they've been alienated. And what alienates them? False worship. Now, I want you to look at something real careful in verse 6. In verse 6 and in verse 9, you start to see that even though you can get distracted by all the details in verse 6 through 9, you'll notice this is all aimed at the Lord. It's a conversation between Isaiah and God. How do I know that? Look at verse 6, first part. He says, for you have rejected your people. And in verse 9, he says, do not forgive them. This is all addressed in Isaiah talking to God. Isaiah is talking and then everything else in the middle is just the reasons for why you have rejected your people, therefore do not forgive them. And Isaiah is talking and the whole point of this conversation that he's having with God is that God will not stand for falseness. God will not stand with a lie. He will not long abide the wickedness of man. And so Isaiah and God is having this conversation. He says, please, people, come to the Lord because you rejected your people. And this is why he rejected them. Because they're full. They already satisfied with the things of this world. What are they full with? What are they full with? False worship. Idolatry. Materialism. Look what it say. They are full of things from the east, of fortune tellers like the Philistines. They strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their, hand is, their land is filled with silver and gold. It's not that they don't have anything. It's that they have too much. They're too satisfied with the things that they already have. They don't look towards that mountain because they already feel like they got a mountain. And in many ways, so is this world like this, isn't it? People don't need to look to Jesus because they already have a Savior. They got their smartphone. Why do they need to look for the God to, for answers when they can turn on Google? Right? They don't need the church for companionship. They got a thousand friends on Facebook. Why do they need to come to church when they can turn on YouTube and watch? They already fool. 
They're already satisfied. But look what Matthew 5, what did the Lord say? He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're already full, you don't belong with Jesus. If you already like the way things are going on this earth, you don't need the Lord. The Lord is for those that are hungry, hungry for more than they see on this earth. And if you are satisfied with everything you see here, you will not see the greatness that is in Jesus Christ. In verse 6 through 9, he also points out the stupidity of false worship. He says, each man bows down to the work of their hands. They made an idol, and now they bow down to it. How stupid is that? But how stupid is atheism? Where people sit there and see this majestic world. If I threw a phone out there and you found it under a rock, you would not think that it had evolved after millions of years. But people look at a human hand and think that that just became from a mass of sin. People look at the skies and they see the interplay between the clouds and they see the magnetic fields that drive the storm systems and they see the winds and they see the stars and they see the moon and the sun and they sit there and think this all came out of a big bang. How stupid is that? People turn and they get on and you look at all these talk shows and they talk about this Eastern mysticism. They don't say they're not spiritual, they say they are spiritual. They say, I feel different things, and I, I, I just had this insight, and I was just feeling this intuition. And when you boil it all down, it's really stupid. Because they say stuff like, we got to empty ourselves to find the answer. But if you empty yourself, the answer must be zero, because there's nothing in there. <laughs> you got a lot of people saying things like, you got to accept yourself for who you are. But then they go and endorse people who are changing their sex to change who they are. You got people out there who are saying they value life, but then they kill babies. They sit there and saying black lives matter, but then somebody goes right after they go to a protest and go right to Planned Parenthood. And Planned Parenthood being built in every black community in the United States. And we sit there marching at the police station. Turn that march around and aim it at Planned Parenthood. We got people worshiping themselves, knowing that they messed up. Why are you going to worship yourself? People sitting there saying, it's all about me. Really now? But what if everybody else thinks it's all about them? Where do we go with that? Everybody gods? I heard somebody one day say, the black woman is God. He said this with a straight face. And you know what? I didn't take it seriously because I thought he was just crazy until I saw that there were a lot of people saying stuff like that. And if you look up on the internet, you see these things. It's stupid. There's a religious group out there called the Black Hebrew Israelites who think that they somehow became black and are Jews somehow, and they are the chosen people. 
and white people are the Edomites, and you don't, it doesn't make sense. You can explain it to them a thousand times. They'll just shout you down because at the end of the day, they're stupid. All sin causes stupidity. That's what it do. I hate to be all blunt with y'all. Actually, I don't hate it because y'all know how I am. But the truth of the matter is, sin causes stupidity. We do things that make no sense, that hurt ourselves. And we think that it is going to do some good. And the scam of being righteous is that God causes us to do things that are good for ourselves and blesses us for that. In verse 10 through 11, we see the approaching judgment. He says, enter into the rock. Hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. And the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idea you get is, that Isaiah is saying, since you already bowed down there, bowed down to that idol, why don't you dig a little bit further and try to hide from the Lord? That's the idea you get. He's saying dig even deeper. There's only going to be one king of the hill. God is saying, I'm playing king of the hill. Let's see who can stand on the top of the hill with me there. The answer is nobody but Jesus. And what you get from this is he says, before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, and some people want to say that that's a contradiction, that God can have both terror and splendor at the same time. But that's not the case. Because the terror and the splendor amplify and complement each other. See, the Lord rescues us by destroying our oppressors. God punishes sin, and that's how we know that he loves us. He takes sin seriously, and that's why he sent his son to die for us. But since he is holy, he can't stand with wickedness, so he makes us holy. Because he is all wise, he cannot be outsmarted, but he knows how to bless us. Because he is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere, he cannot be avoided, but that also means that we cannot escape his love. Because he is omniscient, you cannot hide from him, but he loves the real you. Because he is omnipotent, he cannot be matched. Because he is all good, he alone does good, and all good proceeds from him. In other words, God seeks to save us from himself. He is the one that judges, and he is the one that saves. That is the terror and the splendor of the Lord. Because the Lord has a day. What we get from this day is almost like a picture of a saw, a chainsaw that God has set, and he said everything higher than this is getting cut down. Everything. And the only thing not getting cut down is the cross. He has a chainsaw against everything that is exalted and worshipped. 
or that that be nature and resources. Places worshipped or places that are beloved, buildings built, defenses made, engineering against science. He's got all these things. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against every beautiful craft, against science for exhorting itself above the true knowledge of God alone, against technology because man praises himself for his own ingenuity and not God who gave him that ingenuity, against the mountains because we worship the mountains instead of the one who made the mountains, against the statues because they become idols instead of people that God has made, against the cities because we try to hide ourselves and make ourselves so busy that we cannot hear the voice of God. Against the suburbs, because man thinks that the difference, that his distance from violence, not his proximity to the Savior, is his salvation. And I could go on about education, politics, music, speech, books, art, everything that lifts us up, itself up against the Lord will be brought down because the proud will be humbled. Look at verse 17 through 19. And when you read this verse, you can't help but want to turn to Revelations. When you look at the book of Revelations, look at verse chapter 6, verse 15, because this will be fulfilled. Revelations 6, 15. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? He talking about the great ones. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Who can stand in that great day? Who can stand? God is saying, stand up to me, and I will knock you down. There's nobody who's going to be standing last but me. Everything that man puts up is going to be knocked down. Verse 20 through 21, don't you see that? He says, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols. And it's funny because these idols are made out of precious things, silver and gold. You look at some of these temples and the eyes is made out of rubies. And I think in our day and age, maybe men will throw away their smartphones. And men will throw away their computers and their big screen TVs. 
in their cars. We see the destruction of wealth, idols, and all things that get worshipped. All things that man thought was so great. All of a sudden, they throw it away because it seems like God is looking for these things. Like all the things that we once worshipped are on God's radar, and he's sending missiles down to them. So well, you know what? You got to throw that stuff away and run as far as you can from them. But you still can't escape the wrath of God. So he ends the chapter with this. Stop regarding man and whose nostrils is breath. For what account is he? Man is but one breath away. Don't matter how strong he is, doesn't matter how smart he is. He's one breath away from having the answer to God. Stop regarding man, whether you're regarding yourself as so great or so terrible, whether you're regarding others as so great or so terrible, whether we fear man or worship man. I've seen people, you know, you see these documentaries or you see these things where people are throwing their clothes at Michael Jackson. Where is Michael Jackson now? They would die for Prince. Where is Prince now? Because in the past, they would die for Elvis. And where is Elvis now? It doesn't matter what age, there's always going to be some man that we want to worship, that people want to worship. And later on, we see that whether he be an art star, a movie star, a sports star, whatever he might be, he is simply one breath away. Now I want you to look at this passage again because if you look at chapter 2 there's something miraculous in this chapter and that is this that the passage has a shape It's something that you don't see in everything, but you see in this beautiful word of God, you see these shapes. Look at verse 5 and verse 22. Verse 5 says, O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Verse 22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Those go together. You cannot walk with the Lord as you regard man. And when you stop regarding man, you have no light left except for the Lord. These go together. And they seem to complete each other, don't they? Oh, house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Stop regarding man and whose nostrils is breath for of what account is he? Look at verse 6 through 9. And look at verse 20 through 21. They seem to complete each other. Look at this. I'll read them in a row. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east. 
of fortune tellers like the Philistines. They strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In verse 6 through 9, they take up idols. In verse 20 through 21, they cast down idols. Because in verse 6 through 9, you see how it is, how alluring it is to be brought in by this idolatry, this false worship. But in verse 20 through 21, you see the end of those who pursue false worship, who pursue these idols. They go together. In verse 10 and 11, in verse 17 through 19, they are almost the exact same statements, statements just flipped around. Look what it says. Verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of men shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 17, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of man shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks, and the holes of the ground, from before the terror of the Lord, and from the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to terrify the earth. Don't they go together? They reflect each other, don't they? Look at verse 11, verse verse 17. Aren't they almost exactly the same? Look at verse 11. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. Look at verse 17. The haughtiness of man shall be humble. And look at verse 10, verse, verse 19. There's a reflection going on. And what the reflection is doing is, it's pushing us to looking at the central part of this passage. And the central part of this passage is, that there are two days. There's two days. There is a day against all the proud and lofty. There is a day when Christ will return. There is a day where Christ will save his church. There is a day where God will judge the world. There is a day when everything that is lifted up against Jesus Christ will be brought low. There's a day where every curse said against the church will have to be accounted for. There is a day where every insult made against Jesus will be answered back. There is a day where every persecution will be punished. But there is also a day when the mountain of the Lord will rise up. There is a day when all creation will be blessed, there is a day where all men will find peace and love and harmony under the banner of Jesus Christ. 
there is a day where he will judge between the nations and settle the disputes. There's a day where we turn our swords, our weapons, and the tools of building. And what the passage does is, it puts these two days before you. You got to choose which day will be your end. For the Lord of hosts has a day. He has a day. At the end of the age, everybody got an answer for what they have done. And you will be rewarded or punished according to your deeds. Or you could look to that day where Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and paid the penalty for our sins. I don't want to have the Lord repay me for my works because I know my works are not good enough to be rewarded. And neither are yours. I don't want to wait for the Lord to repay me all the things I've done. So I look to a different day. I look to the day on the cross where God turned his face away from Jesus Christ because he put my sins on Jesus. I look to that day. I look to that day and I say, I'm unrighteous. I'm unworthy, Lord. I look on that day where the veil between man and God was torn. I look on that day where from Mount Zion came a law, a law of grace. I look on that day that led to the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was revealed and God said, I will dwell with man. I will live in the bodies of my saints. I look to that day. And I go to that mountain. every other thing that we go to becomes our mountain. If you turn to alcohol, that's your mountain. You turn to drugs, you turn to sex, you turn to entertainment, you turn to music, whatever it is, that's your mountain. But I'm going to the mountain of Zion. You can go to your mountain, but I'm going to the mountain of Zion. Come, let us go to that mountain of Zion. And if you come with me to that mountain, that mountain is going to rise up above every other mountain. And out of that mountain is going to come a chainsaw. That's going to cut down every other mountain. So you might think your mountain is tall now. And maybe it is. But it won't be if it's not Mount Zion. And you may look at Mount Zion now and you may see it's just a small dusty hill. In the middle of a war-torn city that two nations continue to fight over. But I look to the future. I have my faith that God's word will be true, that he will raise that mountain until one day it is the highest of the mountains. It won't look that be looked down on anymore. Nobody will be higher than it anymore. I look to that mountain. So what will you do? So what will it be? Will you look to the day of the Lord, that day against all things rise up, 
or that day when we flow towards the Mount Zion. It's almost like looking towards a sentence date or a wedding date. There's people out there who party on Friday. Ooh, they partying. But you're getting sentenced on Tuesday. Oh, you partying on Saturday. But you're getting sentenced on Tuesday. Oh, you hanging out on Monday. But you're getting sentenced on Tuesday. And the sentence has already been set. But then there's those who getting married, getting married on Saturday. They're getting married on Saturday. They're looking forward to it. Or I remind myself as when I was a little kid, sometimes I would have a bad report card coming. And I'd just be waiting for mom and dad to know about it. It'd be something that'd be hanging over. Every time they called me, I would think it would be about that. And then it wasn't that, so then I was, whew. Hey, Brian! Cartoons is on. Hey, Brian, clean your room. Or we could look forward to it like Christmas morning when I was a kid. When I was looking forward to Christmas morning, every day felt like 10 days. But I was looking forward to that day. So what will it be? But I don't. Even though I love to end a sermon on a high note, I wouldn't be faithful to the text if I didn't point out one last thing. The repetition. Three times repetition. And if it's repeated three times, that means it is so urgent that the prophet is saying, if you miss this, you have to be a fool. Look what he says, and I'm going to read them all in a row. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty, this verse 10. Verse 11, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, the lofty pride of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 17 through 19, the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In verse 19, people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to terrify the earth. Verse 20 and 21. And that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caves of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. The Lord will come. And you better be ready. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for teaching us your word and your truth. We pray that we would remember, keeping in our eyes, that you will return. And when you return, you may not be happy. And all the things that we busy ourselves with, that we worship, that we distract ourselves with, They will all be cast away. And the only thing that will be left standing will be Mount Zion. So we pray, Lord, that we would repent now while there is still chance. Help us to serve you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen.